Hi, and welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, your Terrorist Therapist, and I'm here to help you and your family reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. Today we're going to be talking about why this phrase that you've heard a million times, um, if you see something, say something, is more than just a slogan. In fact, it's something that can save your life as well as thousands of people around you. You know, a lot of people think that if um, they don't say anything, they're going to be a so-called innocent bystander. But you're not innocent if you stand by and do nothing. Look at the people in San Bernardino who um, apparently knew a lot about the the terrorists in San Bernardino who um, were, in fact, plotting for quite some time to carry out with their threats, well, to carry out with what they were plotting, which was uh, the San Bernardino, California attack. Now, for for months, um, they were planning this attack, and they were gathering, planning an attack at least, and they were gathering um, a lot of um, things that they needed to carry out the attack. So there have been reports that their neighbors, um, particularly a California woman uh, that has, you know, I don't think, I think she's been keeping her name out of the press, but it's been reported that she um, has noted suspicious, quote unquote, suspicious activity at the house um, in the neighborhood where the, the couple, the terrorist couple, um, Syed Farouk and his wife, uh, Malik, Tashfin Malik, um, were planning the attack. They were living with um, their mother and a, and a baby. And there were uh, many packages, quite a few packages is the quote, being delivered within a short amount of time to this home. And um, there were other neighbors as well who realized that there was suspicious activity going on in the garage. I mean, there were there, there were quite a few um, people who were involved in this and kept doing a lot of work out in the garage um, after these packages were delivered. You know, when after the attack, ammunition was found, 4,500 rounds of ammunition, 12 pipe bomb type devices, bomb making tools, and so on inside their apartment and garage. And obviously all of this material got there somehow, and there were people who knew about it who said nothing. Then we have the attack in Belgium, in Molenbeek, I mean, where the, the uh, terrorists came from the neighborhood of Molenbeek, where in fact there are a lot of people who have been um, going to the Middle East, traveling to the Middle East to um, learn how to, how to come back and attack. Um, nobody in Molenbeek, well, I shouldn't say nobody, actually, there, after the fact, there have been some reports that um, people, for example, there was a mother who said that she tried to tell the police that her son had traveled abroad um, to the Middle East and that she believed he was going there to take part in terrorist camps, and the police did nothing. And then um, there were families in the neighborhood. In fact, when the police came to arrest um, some of the terrorists before the major attack in, in 
Belgium, um, they, these people threw bottles at the um, police who were making the arrest. So not only did they not report, but they tried to sabotage um, and express their anger at the fact that the authorities were uh, arresting the terrorists. So, you know, this whole idea of um, needing to say something if you see something literally means the difference between saving and uh, losing tens, hundreds, thousands of lives. So why does this happen? You know, obviously in terms of um, neighbors or other people who know what the terrorists are plotting and they don't say anything, some of these people are friends of the terrorists. Some of them share their uh, fanatical beliefs of the terrorists, um, extremist beliefs, and that's why they're purposely not saying anything. But there are a lot of people who aren't friends, who don't share these beliefs, who are just normal, everyday citizens, and who are afraid to say something for many different reasons. Um, for example, this actually is, there's a, there's a name for this uh, that was developed ever since the most famous account of bystanders um, seeing something or hearing something and not doing something about it. It started in 1964, the famous Kitty Genovese attack. Kitty Genovese was a um, woman who was killed at age 28. She was murdered by stabbing outside an apartment building in Queens, New York. And this was in March 1964. There were 37 or 38 witnesses who saw or heard the attack and who didn't call the police. Now, this has been called the bystander effect, who's planning on doing something imminently or sometime in the future, or if they're going to be accused of Islamophobia. That actually is another, the flip side of this is, um, do I report or do I then become accused of Islamophobia? So um, there, is an, there was a recent example. I love to bring up uh, headlines because they allow me to elucidate um, different aspects of coping with terrorism, of the state of terrorism, um, helping you to, in this case, you know, figure out whether you should report or not. And again, the answer is to err on the side of reporting. Now, there was a recent case of a woman who was on a, a plane and who um, saw a man sitting next to her. She tried to actually talk with him. She saw a man um, writing as they were, they were taxiing, and um, uh, she start, started to try to, uh, a conversation, to begin a conversation with the, her seatmate. And he wasn't really very friendly. <laughs> and she then saw that he was uh, noting on a pad these strange symbols. And she thought that maybe they were, um, it was a different language or it was a code or it was something that had to do with this man plotting to take down the plane. So, um, she, she, she kind of tried an interesting technique. She passed a note to the flight attendant 
saying that she was sick, like she didn't want to, you know, call over the flight attendant and say out loud, I think this man sitting next to me is a terrorist. So she first started by writing a note saying that she was sick and this got their attention. And um, she eventually uh, was got to talk to the flight attendants more privately. And she told him that she was concerned about her seatmate. Now, um, the, what happened was it turned out, <laughs> it turned out that her seatmate was an Italian Ivy League professor and he was, it was a math equation. He was scribbling these math equations because he was on his way to give a talk in, in Canada. This was on a flight from Philadelphia to Syracuse. And his name was Guido Menzio, a well-known economics professor at the University of Pennsylvania. So um, he was called off the plane. He states that they, he was always treated respectfully. And he was called off the plane and he was questioned. Now, to be fair, it wasn't just that he was uh, scribbling these strange notations. He also um, was, had olive skin. He was Italian. And he had a dark, scruffy beard and scruffy hair and a mustache. And so she obviously mistook him for being of Middle Eastern descent. And this you know, fed into why she was concerned about this um, seatmate. So uh, what happened was he was, you know, the, the, he was eventually allowed back on the plane. She didn't go back on the plane. Uh, she took a later flight and the plane was delayed for two hours. And, and um, she was apparently criticized by some for having overreacted. Well, you know, if it had turned out that this man was indeed a terrorist and it was her quick thinking that saved the plane and the passengers and herself, um, people wouldn't be that quick to say, oh, she overreacted or it was Islamophobia. So I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, um, you don't want to be accused of Islamophobia or racial profiling. You don't want to, um, to you know, jump the gun and um, alert authorities to um, something that may turn out to be completely innocent. Well, I'll have to confess that I have felt, there have been times, particularly at an airport, I travel a lot, so, you know, I've had numerous occasions at an airport to see people um, waiting for the plane or on the plane waiting for it to take off um, where there is something suspicious about them, perhaps because of their Middle Eastern dress and their talking um, in ways that uh, <laughs> to, their, to their friends who um, seem either to be uh, suspiciously quiet or suspiciously animating. It could be either, really. Um, I mean, if it were a real terrorist. And I've had to ask myself, should I report this? Um, should I? Uh, there have been times when I thought of uh, asking to go on a different plane, actually. Um, but I have to confess, no, I have never 
I never reported it that I can recall. Let's put it that way. Um, and and no, none of my planes have fallen out of the sky. But you know, um, as time goes on, with each day, we get the situation gets to be more and more dangerous. I mean, you don't have to be a genius to realize that the terrorist attacks are becoming more frequent and and more um, in countries where they weren't before, in places where they weren't before. And so we do need to take this um, this this uh, advice to if you see something, say something much more carefully. Again, as each day is going by, we need to really think about that. And um, again, try to try to remember that not all Muslims are terrorists and not all terrorists are Muslims. However, even domestic terrorists um, have been converted. They are, the whole point is um, that they are radical extremists. They have been converted to this ideology. And, um, and we do need to, it, it's, it's quite, it's very uh, delicate to make the distinction between, um, between something that is representative of your fear, perhaps your paranoia, representative of Islamophobia, versus something which is more representative of, um, of something that you really should be afraid of. Now, I'll give you an example of another extreme. There's a recent, just, just, this, uh, just recently, there was an example of Islamophobia um, in California. A student at a, at a California high school um, named Bayan Zelef was a 17-year-old girl, a senior, was um, mislabeled in her high school yearbook as, and given the name of Isis Phillips. Now, there was actually, unfortunately, an unfortunate name in these times, but there was um, a girl named Isis Phillips who went to that school. She had transferred out, um, however, by the end of senior year, and she was misidentified in the yearbook as well uh, as a different name. And so um, the Bayan, the Bayan, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, she is, you know, has expressed um, her consternation, her anger. Clearly, she's going to be filing a lawsuit. She, actually, what she said was she's extremely saddened, disgusted, hurt, and embarrassed by this uh, mislabeling in the yearbook. And, oh, and I should say that she wore um, traditional Muslim dress. Now, there is an investigation going on, and there was a student from the yearbook committee who has said um, that the, cri the, the crisis, the identity crisis, this mislabeling was an honest mistake. And he said, quote, we have a campus of 3,200 students. There are going to be imperfections. Now, you know, that does seem a little weak, quite frankly, a little weak uh, of an excuse. But um, we, as of yet, we don't really know the exact details, the exact origin of this mistake. But we do know what is really unfortunate is that um, since this came out and since there have been students who have been supportive of her and made signs supportive of her 
And um, there are other students who have torn the signs down. And regardless of the error in the yearbook and whether it was a mistake or uh, not, um, there actually have been students expressing their displeasure at uh, their anger, actually, at her, you know, making, as they would say, a big deal out of this. So what does this mean? Psychologically, what it means is that students, just like not, ju not just students, many people are in fact frightened when they see someone wearing um, traditional Muslim garb um, because it's in a way, you know, you could look at it as a trigger uh, to PTSD or to the, you know, what we're feeling um, in, as in something that reminds us of 9-11. And sure, it is not fair to take it out on a 17-year-old on a senior in high school who is about to be graduated. In fact, she's afraid to walk down the aisle. She's afraid that when her name is going to be called out, that uh, her real name, that there will be others in the audience who will yell out ISIS. And indeed, there might. She's having relatives come from Jordan, and she's, you know, very upset about all of this. Um and so out of fear, what, what I think happened is that I think it was purposeful and, you know, a, a practical joke, whatever you want, you may want to call it that. But really, it's because of this fear that she has generated and, and the way that they, the students express their anger, anger at becoming fearful, you know, of her making them feel fear is by this trick or this uh mistake or this, you know, purposely mislabeling her. And that's really unfortunate. So this is an example of the kinds of things that do happen and, um, and that Islamophobia is real. And we are, as um, terrorist attacks increase, as I was saying, Islamophobia increases. So you need to ask yourself before you report something, um, are you really scared? Are there rational signs that there are, uh, you know, that there is an imminent terrorist attack or that there is a plot for a terrorist attack or there is something dangerous happening? Or, um, is, or is this just your paranoia and your Islamophobia speaking? Um, and also, do you want to, or do you want to be in the news either for, um, for having saved people or, or the opposite, do you want to be, are you afraid of um, being criticized for overreacting? Now, it's really hard to um, give you absolute rules of when to report something. If you see something, say something. I do say that you should err on the side of caution. And if you do see things that make you, um, feel something suspicious, feel that something suspicious is going on, you should certainly think about reporting it. The only thing you need to do to be extra careful is to ask yourself, is this really something that is rationally, <laughs> that is rationally suspicious, or could it be that my paranoia or my Islamophobia is making me um, overreact? Now, there isn't any, you know, I, there aren't any hard and fast rules about that, except that um, the Department of Homeland Security talks about eight um, 
signs of terrorism. Now, these are more things uh, like terrorist plots, not like seeing somebody drop a bag off at the airport and leave it alone um, and disappear. But let me tell you this, uh, surveillance, um, people taking pictures and making drawings, particularly of landmarks, like if you're at the Statue of Liberty or something else that would be a dramatic landmark for the terrorists to attack. Um, if uh, they are information gathering, asking people um, where you work or, or at the airport or um, places for, for information. If you think that people are um, looking, going into restricted areas, for example, this is, these are tests of security. If there are suspicious transactions, so this would be related to funding. If you think that there are people who are trying in some way to uh, collect funds for terrorists, then of course acquiring supplies. <laughs> if you see people uh, buying things that are bomb making supplies, for example, um, suspicious persons out of place. They can be in places they're not supposed to be, or they look like they're not supposed to be. They don't fit into the scene. Um, if you think that people might be making a dry or trial run. And then, um, obviously, if people are what they say it call deploying assets, if they look like they're getting in position to um, create a terrorist attack. Now, the, the campaign, um, if you, to see something, say something, actually started in the New York City uh, subways, and um, it has then been adopted by uh, Homeland Security in 2010 to make it be a national campaign. And more recently, there has been developed an app. It's, this is, instead of see something, say something, it's see something, send something. And you can um, send words or a photograph of what it is that you're suspicious of. This is an app to connect concerned citizens, first responders, and law enforcement directly to key intelligence centers throughout the United States. Now, um, what you are supposed to be looking out for, uh, they give examples as well. I mean, it's all... It's all the similar kinds of things that you probably have heard of, but, well, we, you know, another part um, gets into this is denial, even if you do see something that seems very suspicious. Um, part of us doesn't want to believe that that's what it is. So that's another aspect that you have to keep in mind. But if you see suspicious or out of place vehicles, individuals, mail, packages, luggage abandoned in a crowded place, such as an airport or shopping mall. If you see individuals recording, watching, or photographing, uh, or monitoring activities, especially, as I was saying before, near places that um, would be typical uh, terrorist <laughs> on, the, on the wish list of places the terrorists would like to attack. You know, these are all these are all the the kinds of things that you should be aware of and that you should report. And again, either um, of, of course, if it's something that's an emergency, if it's something really imminent, you don't just um, don't just use the app or don't just uh, um, you know walk over to somebody if that's going to take a while. Call nine one one. This is not meant to replace nine one one, which is for emergencies. Um, the bottom line is that 
you need to just give it the test of, of whether it's of what and it's and it is so hard because nobody wants to do racial profiling um, but uh, if you look at who has committed the terrorist attacks in the past you get a bit, an idea of who is likely to commit them in the future so again if you see something say something if you see something send something and um, I will be back with my next podcast um, I, I love to take headlines in the news and use them as illustrations of things that you need to understand about terrorism in general, like the stories that I told you about today. Um, basically, I am helping you, trying to help you confront the monster under the bed each time in a different way. I put it on my couch. The monster is terrorism. <laughs> I turn on the lights and I try to make it less scary. Um, also, keep a lookout for my book that's going to be soon to be released, uh, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror. Again, it's not just a catchy slogan. If you see something, say something, or send something. I'm Dr. Carol, a terrorist therapist.